0: Welcome and thank you for joining us in season three of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion.
1: Hey Joel, happy Wednesday.
0: <laughs> it is happy Wednesday. That's right. We are we are into Lent now, a, a halfway decent bit, and you are headed for Passover.
1: Yeah, I suppose I am. <laughs> I'm, was, right now I'm thinking about perm, but even before perm, I'm thinking about uh, the, the boy that's in my wife's belly coming out in three weeks, God willing. Woohoo! So uh, yeah, lots going on. Lots going on. What Wait, about with you? Just three weeks? Is that how close y'all are now? I mean, April 2nd, just over three weeks, I guess, yeah.
0: Wow. I know. It feels know. like y'all just had a kid. How did this second one come about it so It feels quickly? like I just
1: graduated high school. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Wait, when is Purim? Purim is a week from today. Huh. One week from today. Story of Esther, Mordecai, the book of Ruth, if anyone uh, is interested, is um, the book of Ruth. Wow. <laughs> I just said her name too. Cut that out, Joel. He He's not going to. I know he's not. And even what <laughs> no, I'm saying no, right that's now going to be in there. Yeah, you got, um, the,
0: you got the two women of the Hebrew Bible confused okay. with one another.
1: In the book of Esther is the history of Purim. And that is what is traditionally read on Purim, including um, – what we call a Purim spiel, which is basically kind of a some sort of skit, production, play, musical um, that is like a send-up of Purim. And uh, not what we're going to talk about today, but Purim is very much this holiday that plays with uh, the visible and the hidden, and we wear masks and costumes for that reason. And the Book of Esther, you might know this, Joel, is the only book in the entirety of the Jewish Bible that does not mention the name of God. And so the one idea is that God is there, but is hidden. And sometimes the, our truest aspects only come out when they're hidden. And it's this, it actually is quite a deep holiday from a theological perspective, but it's also one of ribaldry. Am I saying that word correctly? Ribaldry? Revelry? You know, when you're <laughs> rebald. I'm not sure which word, word you're aiming for. Weird. No, no, ribald. It's a word. It's like R-I-B-A-L-D, like like a party atmosphere, drinking. Don't tell me that's not a word. I've been living my whole life thinking this is a word.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's like yeah, you're in you're in deep linguistic world, which is like a play place for me, but not. Uh, it doesn't feel like my wheelhouse.
1: Oh, okay. It is a word. Totally not what I meant. Referring to sexual matters in an amusingly coarse or irreverent way. So it's not Rebald. That's Esther. Yeah, that works for Esther. Well, it is. But as far as the synagogue's concerned, not Rebald. Going on record again, not Rebald. Let's talk about our topics today. (laughs) (laughs) Esther was his favorite.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, you're not letting it go. (laughs) Who's no, going we're going to hold on to your ribaldness for a while now. Well, baldness,
1: yes, for sure. <laughs> oh, goodness. You get to go first today. All right. So this is not in and of itself a religious topic by any means. But I do think it's something everyone thinks about. And I think it's also something that religion – writ large says a lot about. And that is time, time and choices. So without going down a uh, kind of biographical rabbit hole that nobody cares about, I would say the last six to nine months, I've been really exploring productivity from a kind of um, philosophy, philosophical point of view. And I have this app, if if there are any geeks that listen, it's called Obsidian. Sometimes people talk about it being a second brain. Sometimes people use this word Zettelcast in. We don't, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, needless to say, I've kind of been in this space of maximizing productivity and trying to think about goals and achieving goals and to-do lists and what app do I use and all this sort of stuff. Um, especially in this season where there just seems to be a lot happening that I need to be on top of a lot of very small details that need to be tracked and kept and all these things. So I came across um, a review of a book that recently came out. I have not read it yet. I'm I'm going to buy it today. Um, It's called something like uh, 4,000 Weeks Productivity for Mortals. It's called something like that. And the idea being that if you live to the age of 80, That is exactly 4,000 weeks, that you have 4,000 weeks on earth by the time you're 80 years old or when you're 80. And it very much takes this idea of finitude that I think many of us take for granted when we say, oh, we'll do it tomorrow or next month or, you know, I'll eat, I'll start eating as I ate fried chicken for lunch today, you know, I'll start eating better soon, those sorts of things. But trying to, what I understand this book's goal to be is, on the one hand, us coming to terms with our finitude and limited resources and limited abilities, and in some ways, that being an inspiration as opposed to a paralyzation for doing the things that matter. And I was thinking about that from a religious standpoint or spiritual standpoint in terms of You know, the choices we make, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what do they say about our religious values? And they do say something about our religious values. We may not think they do, but they absolutely do, as, you know, I'm sure you agree. Um, And so I've just been thinking about that a lot lately, especially, you know, you've had three children, so I don't know if you went through this, but just kind of, you know, the what does it all mean question when it comes to having children and you want them to grow up and like live their, you know, fulfill their dreams and all, all of that sort of things. And so that, that's all been kind of flying through the cobwebs recently.
0: Mm. And it's this uh, impending birth of the second one, the, the arrival of the first and the impending birth of the second one that has you using an app to try to be more productive with time.
1: Okay, now I have a lot to say about that. You, if you are in the modern world having jobs like we have and aren't using an app, you're forgetting stuff.
0: So tell me more about this app. Why did you choose it? And what what goal did you enter into the great app search with? And well, how did this one almost solve it?
1: So Joel, you are... This is going to be highly problematic because you're helping me scratch an itch, which is to like have a tech podcast, which is not what we are. So you are going to have to rein me in, my friend. No problem, man. But no you, problem. I'm a techie, you know that. Let's do it. it. Absolutely. Well, there's two things. One is like the to do productivity app, and I have switched between everything. I I, I was a long time OmniFocus user, left it, came back to it. Um, I started using Todoist for a while. Now I'm on Good Task mostly because I really like its widgets for the iPad. Like on my iPad, I can see the things I've designated due today and tomorrow without even opening the app. So I just look at my home screen and it's right there. Um, so that's like my to-do list, both short-term and long-term. Um, so, you know, buy a new uh, refrigerator water filter in six months is in there, as well as, you know, plan this week's service with our Cantorial Soloist That is guesting in our services. But the the app that I mentioned before, this app Obsidian, essentially it's a note taker. It is so much more than that. But what it allows you to do in a very – what I find a very organic and user-friendly way is link your thinking in ways that you wouldn't otherwise think to. So – um, again, I don't want this to turn into a pe- tech podcast. If people are interested, there are so many places and I'll put in the show notes like places where people go can go to learn about Obsidian. But I have found that there is a big overlap in kind of the geeky, you know, Mac iOS productivity space and um, thinking just generally. I, um, you know, people who take thinking seriously and thinking about the world seriously. And that doesn't mean that we're all productive. It just means we're into thinking about productivity, which are, are, can be different things. Um, but uh, for me, the, the important piece, at least here and in my job, of course, is to use that for my limited resources, both as a human being and as a rabbi, to, to do as much as I can. For my community and then in my personal life for me and for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times when we have free time, it, you know, we'll do something without really realizing that like you are – by choosing that, you are not choosing a lot of other things. And those other things you're not choosing might be like really high on your priority list. But maybe they take a little more effort and so instead you take a nap or you watch Netflix. Um and kind of the realization of that can sometimes be eye-opening. yeah. And I think re, you know Judaism certainly, I mean, I can't imagine any religion saying otherwise, but wants you know, I think motivates us to spend our time in ways that matter. Um, to bring this to a specific, uh, and then I'll, I'll stop talking for a second. Um, We just honored congregants who are moving out of Athens in their 90s to be with um, their family in Pennsylvania. And they have uh, two children that live there and five or six grandchildren and a few great-grandchildren. So, I mean, it's totally understandable that they're moving, leaving here. After 49 years of membership, I mean, these are beloved people. And I used as a frame for my sermon last week the quote by the psalmist is, Count our days in order. To make our hearts fuller. That's not the exact translation, but it is the colloquial way that I sometimes translate it is let us count our days so that our days count. Mm -hmm. In other words, the counting isn't in and of itself what's important. It's what it, what it symbolizes or what it achieves. And so checking things off a to-do list is not what's important. It's doing the things that are important, that are
0: important. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, so many. So many cool overlaps in here. I I mean, uh, in Stephen Covey's, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is an old school pre-app way of managing time, like one of his big pieces of advice was do the most important things first, not the most urgent. Um, And and what I find, I don't know if you find this, but as clergy, there are urgent requests around me 24-7, and some of them might be important, most are not. Um, and, and so I've had a hard time as, as I've tried to find a way to manage time. And I come from a, a corporate background where project management and getting to meetings and turning in reports on time, that was all a requirement. So now I'm in the clergy world and that stuff is still expected, but it has a different feel to it here, uh, for some reason. Uh, and, and what I find is I now break my week, seven days, three blocks per day, morning,
1: afternoon, evening. By the way, I talk about this all the time to people. I love that you do this. Yeah,
0: 21 blocks. How many are for church? How many are for just me? How many are for me and Jill? How many are for changing the world? You know, beyond church. How many are for friends or or my, my sons or whatever? And if you look at all the things you want to do, and that you try to say that you actually do, and then you look at the blocks that you give it, wow, um, you do not do what you say you want to do. No one does. And and there's just a reality to that. The other thing I do is I don't have a to-do manager, a task manager, anything like that. I have a some recurring things on my calendar, and they are the little tap that says, hey, every Tuesday you do this, right? Right. Once a month, on the first Tuesday of each month, you do this, and and they're generic reminders, um, but they always trigger the oh gosh, oh that's right, it's time for me to fill the in the worship service liturgy. Oh, that's right, it's time for me to turn in my <laughs> expense report for cell phone or whatever. Um, yep, and and those kind of little notes and taps they do help me, but they don't exist to help me do the important thing with time. They exist to make sure that the unimportant things happen quickly so I can get back to spending uninterrupted time doing the important. And, and that's, that's when I like, I don't know if you find this, but I know I'm having a good day when I start to do something really important. And then three hours later, I look up and, and realize, Oh wow. I read, and I thought, and I studied, and I prepared, and I planned, and I blinked, and three hours were gone. Absolutely. That I go home refreshed when, when I realize that happened. Or it also happens if I sit down at a pastoral visit with somebody who's, they're hurting, they're sharing something with me, and I ask a couple questions, and I blink. And we've been talking an hour and a half. That is just amazing. Um, as opposed to the pastoral conversation where they talk to you for 30 seconds and it feels like a lifetime.
1: (laughs) Right. And then, you know, different than what I was thinking when I brought this up, but on a very kind of practical level, you know, the the challenge of what you deem important versus what someone else does, right?
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 As clergy it's the thousand bosses problem.
1: Because what is urgent to someone that's the most important thing. It, you know the the interfaith prayer that is important to you or that we think is important to the community, you know whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's always a, a tension.
0: polishing the shofar and remembering to blow it on time.
1: Good memory, Joel.
0: <laughs> maybe you don't maybe you don't need a to-do app. well I we're in the season of Lent and Lent is It's very much about time. Um, Jesus was aware, as he—the reason we do Lent is a recognition of his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem and his limited time. So what are the most important things he can do and say in the limited time that he has? He doesn't hope he has limited time, but he expects that he will face some violent resistance when he says what he's going to say and does what he's going to do, and he does. So he has limited time, and how he spent that precious limited time should tell us a lot about what he thought was important. Um, And then when we, as those of us who are Christians, say, okay, he shows us how to spend our time, we have to look at the causes that he supported and the ones he didn't care about to even mention or pay attention to, the the issues that he lifted up and went to bat for and confronted political and religious leaders about versus the ones he didn't even mention. And and if you're going to lift that up, it kind of shows us uh, at least, a, um, I don't know, a, a timely comparison. What, what are those uh, realities and issues and topics today that if we're going to say our time is limited, we should work on.
1: Yes. And I think you expressed that better than I did, but that is exactly kind of why I thought that this was appropriate, not just for two geeks that are into technology, but uh, appropriate for religious thinkers. COVID has to be affecting this for you. Oh, absolutely.
0: It's two years now. Like, where did time go? And. How do we do this coming out of this? Like, how do we spend time now? Uh, we, It's it's not like we wasted two years, but we did press pause on a lot of stuff. Okay, if we're going to click play again, what starts up? Um, we don't want to just go back two years ago and do what we used to do two years ago and just start that all over again, for God's sake. We want to do it differently now.
1: Absolutely. No, that, that's a very good point. I've been thinking in my head about kind of when things do get to a normal, whatever that is, having some sort of commemoration for the past two years in, in all forms. Um, yeah. By the
0: time this episode comes out, this church will have taken another step forward in our COVID protocols. We voted as a session to remove the mask required statement and go to mask optional for those who still feel for personal sake they need the extra protection.
1: And I have a feeling, so our reopening committee meets on Sunday and then the board uh, in April, Um, but I feel like the recommendation is going to be very similar.
0: And, And I know I'm anticipating There will be people who felt like we wasted time. We wasted two years doing stupid stuff and wearing masks, and their perception of how does what was important over these two years is very Mm. different from the mothers of young children or the immunocompromised who thought we did the perfect use of time for these last two years. Absolutely,
1: I mean, I, I deal with this all the time because Emily and I we're we're more careful than other. Is some, even some other younger families with kids, even some other pregnant families. And part of that reason is just individual choices and, and you know, different people have different comfort levels. But also, you know, as, as we've mentioned, uh, we're blessed to have Emily's parents that live um, fairly close to us. And that is a source of, of that reasoning also. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, absolutely. So it's like when people say, well, you know, if Emily got sick, she'd be fine. Well, g- God willing, yes but would other people that we come into contact with. Uh, What's your topic?
0: Uh, Well, mine is a Supreme Court case. It's coming up here shortly, um, and people have probably heard about it. It's similar to the old wedding cake issue, but there's a web designer who is objecting to... um, having to design websites for same-sex marriages this web designer is imagining a business and is launching it um, and they've been talking about making fair public accommodation to all people regardless of their differences and those are some state laws and so there's this company called 303 collective uh, and in in their state they are designing um, website services, and part of that includes wedding services, and they are imagining having to list or say it's against their religious beliefs to design a website for same-sex unions. And and it just—there's a political aspect, there's a social aspect, there's a religious aspect to this, um, and, and I just— I felt like it's a big overlap space uh, and some friends of ours we were talking about this where does the line go between religious speech free speech what does it look like to have the freedom to do something versus the freedom from having to do it and and I I wanted to lift that up today and and I'll put it in front of us and see where where you're leaning to
1: I mean that's a tough one because on on one hand I don't kn- I- Here's what I want. I want to live in a country where people don't feel like they can't give their business, sorry, where as a business person that they can't sell their services to someone who's gay or someone who's African-American or someone who's transgender or, you know, whatever the minority that that person thinks is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I mean, that's where I want to be. But I don't know that legislating it is the answer. In other words, I think that person is a jerk. Some other words that I won't say on the podcast, uh, the business person, yeah. just to be very clear. Yeah. But if you're asking me or if one is asking me, do they have the right to do that? I mean, I'm not a legal scholar or should they have the right to do that is a better question. Mm-hmm. Man, I am not a clear cut no on that I'm not sure because then in the same vein, you know I'll be very honest, I kind of cheered when various restaurants and things were giving Trump and his you know cronies a hard time a while ago or mm-hmm. and so like I have i I don't want to be a hypocrite about that stuff um. So this, it's a that.
0: that's why this issue is so interesting to me. If I really try to sit in a place of freedom to express, right, I, I want to defend that. And if I look at what is expressed with that freedom, I realize as a community that is out of bounds. So the, this debate is truly a First Amendment boundary issue what see, but I don't
1: think it I don't think it is because the the business is not the government.
0: Ah so the issue is the government is um, taking to the Supreme Court um, to challenge a law that um, does not allow discrimination. So for example, the law exists so that you can't have a business that hangs a sign out front that says whites only. Now, imagine that, right? There was a time not long ago in our country where those signs hung in front of businesses. And we wrote laws to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You cannot discriminate in a business based on things like that. And so that law makes sense to me. The, the country that I'm in, even if you are free to be racist you're not free to uh, put your racist ideology out into the world so that it does harm to the rest of the people. You're just free to have racist opinions and to suffer the consequences when you do it. I don't think you're free to practice racism systemically in, in your business or in the way you are a citizen. And that line is a, a wiggly one. And what they're, this law is you will know, doing is you also can't put up a sign out in front of your business that says straights only. Um, that Right. W- and,
1: and, for you know, as far as I understand, sexual identity is not a protected, what's it called? A protected, um, there's a word. In the same way that um, race is and age is and gender is. But sexual identity is not a class. Is that what it's called? The protected class? I think that's what it is.
0: And the issue there, it, it, some people would say that sexual identity or gender identity is a choice more than it is a something given to you against your choice that you can't control. Other people know better, like sexual identity slash gender are not so much choices as things that we are given and have to live into. Um, and it isn't just A or B. Um, there's a width there. So those who understand that there's a width are probably less likely to be discriminatory. But those who think of it as an A or B, that's it. And if you're not doing it the right way, the male and female heterosexual way, then you're wrong. Therefore, I'm going to discriminate against you. And they, they're they defending their right to discriminate based on religious
1: liberty oh yeah right the religion right well i mean my question is should you know I, i i as i'm thinking about it more you know given that race gender um and uh age i think you can't discriminate on age for a job is that correct
0: I would hope so, but I'm sure people do it all the time. But
1: anyway, like, given that those are laws, then, yeah, sexual identity should be included in that.
0: Well, and so then, is there really free speech? What, What we're saying is that the government has the power to silence speech that it disagrees with or to compel speech it approves of and punish anyone who dares to dissent. Um, That's some of that language I just used is from a a lawyer who's representing the plaintiff in this case, um, making the case that Colorado is doing that, is um, determining what is and is not free speech. But those who are against it are saying, now, wait a minute, in a democratic society we we come together and we agree about laws and in our laws we make sure that there is just and equal treatment of all people that's why lady justice has a blindfold on and so what you're not allowed to do is use your protected legal free speech in a way that breaks the very laws that are designed into the constitution that it was created to defend and in other words, this person is wanting to have their cake and eat it too, wanting the right to legal free speech, even if they use that speech illegally to make unjust systems against other citizens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking about um, how there are essentially bullies in the Bible that use their power of speech to kind of... Abrogate others. It, uh, you know, Korach comes to mind, the rebellion that Korach led against Moses mm-hmm. and Aaron. Um, I just wish that people weren't so damn petty. <laughs> it's uh, how
0: to spend their time. There's only four thousand weeks, like, people.
1: Yeah, way to bring it back, Joel. yeah,
0: yeah and uh, something about this. Like as I read this case and try to understand it, okay, what you're saying is uh, you think it's wrong. You think gay people choose to be that way and that it's ungodly and it goes against their God-created nature. That's, that's your religious conviction slash belief. And if we show you some realities or if you have a gay child or if we show you the DNA of, of LGBTQ people – and you still want to deny it, all right, here's what I think that says. You, you still have the freedom to say it's wrong. You still have the freedom to never be forced into a gay marriage. You still have the freedom to, to date only people that you want to date. But if somebody walks into your place of business and gives you money for one of your products or services or submits a job application... And you tell them no because they look funny, or they go to the mosque, or they have a partner, or their skin is too dark. Now you've gone beyond free speech, your protected free speech, and you've gone into a communal consequence where you're imposing your, quote, religious belief, Beyond your personal self, you're imposing it on the wider community. Now, this person might say, wait a minute, you're imposing y'all's religious belief on me. And that's what the United States protected me from, so they would never be a top-down. But in a democratic society, the the vote of the majority is always going to win. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Sometimes the majority yeah. is a, right Sometimes well, the majority different- are the bullies.
1: Absolutely. The other thing is when the couple is wanting the website, they're not doing it qua their sexual identity. They're doing it because they're getting married. Whereas in the other side, it's exactly because of the sexual identity. So it's like it's a different weight of who's using the, the, the sexual identity as the issue. Um, the other thing, and this just complicates things, but I think, you know, in elementary school, and I get it. Like, you know, you're a child. You need to be talked to as a child. But things are never that simple. Like when we're told, well, you could say anything you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else or affect anyone else. The truth is everything affects everybody else. It's a – we are interconnected in ways that we still don't even fully understand. Yeah. So this false notion of I can do whatever I want and you can do whatever I want and you stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane is Like literally unless you are living as a hermit and not paying for utilities that use other things. I mean it's just – it's a false metaphor that cannot happen. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to understand that it's not that simple because what I say and do does affect you and vice versa.
0: We were at a presbytery retreat, you know, there were 50 or so um, Presbyterian churches over here on the eastern shore and of Maryland, Delaware, and we went to a retreat together last Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And one older guy, um, he's what's called a commissioned ruling elder, and he knows I serve on a certain committee for the presbytery that that overlooks them. Um, Commissioned ruling elders are, they're not uh, trained pastors, but they serve little churches that need pastors but can't afford one. And and so he was talking to me about a, a church. It's not a Presbyterian church, but it's looking for one, and he was thinking about going there. And I said, well, just do me a favor and check with them. Uh, for example, do they ordain women or not? Um, just just check and see. Um, when they think of Scripture, do they read it literally, or do they read it in its time and context? Um, just Just go check out a few basics. And he said, well, I'm not sure I, that that should matter. If they need a pastor and I'm looking for a church, I, I should be able to go there. <laughs> right? And then that—so what he's trying to say is, I want my freedom, right? And that's freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But I want the benefits of being in a denomination. And, and I—whenever I want to exercise my personal choice— denomination, hush. But whenever I need the power of community, denomination, where are you? Back me up here. And and I tried to like, without telling him coldly, you can't right. have your cake and eat it too. Like when you say yes like this to a country or a denomination – we set boundaries, we set rules on one another, and we do our best to protect free speech and to make everything fair and just. Those two are going to be in tension for the rest of time. And how do we allow to the maximum ability speech as long as it doesn't bust truth and justice? And how do we protect truth and justice as the majority determines as long as it doesn't a- a- attack individual freedom of Religious uh, expression or assemblage. And that's – That's great. I don't know how to do this. That's a good – But it's so weird to watch our courts and our religious people argue it over and over again for thousands of years now.
1: And again, going back to like th- this idealistic – naive version of the world i want to live in like i want to live in a world where we don't even need the courts to figure it out yeah which is not going to happen i'm very aware of this but it's like really (laughs) yeah well it it affects you and me
0: when you and i use speech at a religious assembly we are exercising the first amendment people judge us for that Sometimes. Of
1: course, of course.
0: And they walk out, right? And they say, I'm not going to do business at this synagogue or temple or church anymore because I don't like the proprietor's way of doing religion or speech. Okay, fine. But here's what you and I don't do we don't kick out people for how they (laughs) use speech, right? right if they walk in to church Absolutely. or synagogue
1: by the way i so i have this discussion i'm i'm fairly close with my hairstylist <laughs> and she she has a story where she um basically fired a client for kind of you know like inappropriate like clearly crossed the line and like yeah. absolute jerk like but Like that is not something we can easily do. And I'll also say, thankfully, it's it's not like my congregation is full of those people. I don't even know if it has any. Yeah. But in my 15 years of rabbinate, I can think of uh, a few. And of course, those few, I don't want to say poison, but certainly make the environment, uh, you know what? Toxic is a good word for, you know, it it creates a culture of, of, you know, toxicity. Yeah. And uh there was a case in my last pulpit in Omaha where we as a congregation, you know, board, clergy, etc., um, kicked out somebody. Mm. And it was the it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was also without question the right decision. Yeah. So when I say it's the hardest thing I've ever done, it's not like I'm saying I regret it or I think about it. Um but I mean, this congregant was—I mean—really, really problematic, and yeah. I mean, I, I think about sometimes too. You know, it's time, and congregants listen to this. I so, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm not, I I'm not trying to sound defensive. I don't even—I don't feel defensive. But it, it's time for my annual evaluation, right? Which. Uh, you know, the president seeks out leaders of the congregation, committee heads to fill out this form and, you know, and then the president collates it and puts it all together. And I, I – there are a few, very few, but there are a few synagogues where that works in both directions, where the clergy actually evaluates the synagogue because, you know w- – Again, nothing so simple. Your opinion of me as a clergy has to do with our interpersonal dynamics and it has to do with the all sorts of things including of course my responsiveness and my thoroughness and my abilities and all of that and how do you approach me? Are you know, are you nice and warm and attentive and do you follow through? And you know, because we are paid and they are not that two way conversation doesn't happen, but it should. <laughs> and I don't mean that as aha, I'm going to get them, not in the slightest. And mm-hmm. I love my congregation. I mean, not in the slightest. But if, if we're really interested in improving each other, then then it it would, right? Right.
0: I'm I'm just interested still in the the debate between accountability and freedom. And, and I don't understand how to have maximum personal freedom in any relationship. If you want any relationship, a dedicated mm. spousal style, a, a congregational style, a country, you, to have relationships, you sacrifice personal freedom and you agree to some, okay, y'all, we're not going to say that. We're not going to do yep. that. We're not going to talk about it that way anymore. We're, um, you might not be there yet, but we're not going to say or do that anymore. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me because I'm, I'm watching America, particularly religious America, push so hard for personal freedom or collective wins, and And I don't want either one of those extremes to to win. I want them to both realize how dependent they are on one another and find some hold on and keep going together as opposed to just putting up, coming to fisticuffs in order to settle how we do America.
1: (laughs) Or the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, there's another
1: one in the can. Good stuff. Well, speaking of how we spend our time, Joel, maybe uh, someday you and I can spend ten minutes in a Call and Duty match.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice, it, just ten minutes though, because that's where we're trying to do the most important things first.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Not, and you know what? Spending time with friends and relaxing is important.
0: Yes, when when Joel uh, is asleep at ten thirty because she has to get up at five. I often stay up till midnight and play a couple extra Call of Duty rounds, you bet.
1: Send me a text. <laughs> uh, keep it real, everyone. Thank
0: you for joining us on the Religion podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.